Yeah, hi, it's Bill Lumber. Yeah, it's Yeah, hi, it's Bill Lumber. Yeah, it's me again. Uh, I was away from my desk for a minute. Just checking in in case you called while I was gone. Well, I'm I'm sure glad that that none of you decided to sleep in like uh, Peter Gibbons this morning. Um, it's great to see all of you here, and it's great to be here. Um, as Daryl said, my name is Daniel Irving, and I'm the Alamo Heights summer intern from Duke University, from Duke Divinity School. Um, and it's great to be here this Sunday to start off uh, this Summer at the Movies series. Uh, it said on the, the trailer that they were showing the past few weeks that this was the feel-good sermon series of the year. And I hate to tell you, but I, I, I kind of... I kind of goofed up a little bit because I think that Office Space is, is quite frankly, one of the most depressing comedies that there is. And just from this clip and from some of the clips that we're about to see, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And so we're going to show just a few more clips just for some of you who haven't seen the movie so you get a little bit of a, of, of a familiarity with uh, what we're dealing with here. So I was sitting in my cubicle today and I realized ever since I started working, um, every single day of my life has been worse than the day before it. So that means that every single day that you see me, that's on the worst day of my life. What about today? Is today the worst day of your life? Yeah. Wow, that's messed up. I'm sorry. Is there any way that you could sort of just sock me out so that, like, I, I don't know that I'm at work in here? Could I come home and think that I've been fishing all day or something? That's really not what I do, Peter. <laughs> However, the good news is I think I can help you. I want you to do something for me, Peter. I want you to try and relax. I want you to relax every muscle in your body, beginning with your toes to your fingertips. I want you to relax your legs. You're beginning to feel your eyelids getting heavy as you slip deeper and deeper into a state of complete relaxation. All your cares and concerns are disappearing deeper and deeper way down your concern about your job melts away way way down now when i count backwards from three you will be in a state of complete relaxation your worries cares and inhibitions will be gone and you will remain in that state until i snap my fingers three Deeper and deeper, way, way down. Two, deeper and deeper, way down. One. Oh my God, Doctor Swanson! Thank you. 
So, where do you uh, work, Peter? In a tech. And, yeah, what, what do you do there? I sit in a cubicle, and I update bank software for the 2000 switch. What's that? Well, see, they wrote all this bank software, and uh, to save space, they used two digits for the date instead of four. So, like, 98 instead of 1998. Uh, so, I go through these thousands of lines of code, and uh, it doesn't really matter. I, uh, I don't like my job, and... Uh, I don't think I'm going to go anymore. You're just not going to go? Yeah. Won't you get fired? I don't know. But I really don't like it, and uh, I'm not going to go. <laughs> so you're going to quit? Nuh-uh. Not really. Uh, I'm just going to stop going. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you decide all of that? About an hour ago. Really? Yeah. About an hour ago. So are you going to get another job? I don't think I'd like another job. <laughs> what are you going to do about money and bills and... You know, I've never really liked paying bills. I don't think I'm going to do that either. <laughs> uh, well, so what do you want to do? I want to take you out to dinner. And then I want to go back to my apartment and watch Kung Fu. Do you ever watch Kung Fu? I love Kung Fu. Channel 39. Totally. You should come over and watch Kung Fu tonight. Okay. Great. Okay. Can we order lunch first? Yeah. Okay. This better looks like a Peter Gibbons. Uh-huh. Oh, there you are. We're just talking about you. You must be Peter Gibbons. Uh-huh. Terrific. I'm Bob Slidell. This is my associate, Bob Porter. Uh, hi, Bob. Bob, pretty much go ahead and grab a seat and join us for a minute or two. You see, what we're actually trying to do here is we're just, we're trying to get a feel for how people spend their day at work. So, if you would, would you walk us through a typical day for you? Yeah. Great. Well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door, that way Lumberg can't see me. <laughs> And uh, after that, I just sort of space out for about an hour. Uh, space out? Yeah. I just stare at my desk. But it looks like I'm working. I do that for uh, probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real, actual work. Uh, Peter, would you be a good sport and indulge us and just tell us a little more? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you something about TPS reports. TPS. Uh, the thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. Don't. I have to ask, just so I know, how many of you have actually seen this movie? That's a pretty good amount. But if you haven't, I do have to warn you that although there are some genuinely hilarious scenes in this movie, it is rated R, and I, there are some pretty crude parts to it, and so I can't, as a pastor, recommend this um, for children or for just to sit down tonight um, when you're having dinner and watching it as a family. Um, but I did pick Office Space because I think it has a lot to teach us, and I think it especially has a lot to teach us about what a life is like without joy. 
Um, It's curious to me that almost every TV or movie that tries to depict the corporate life um, tends to to turn it into some monotonous drone of day-to-day existence. That each time you walk into a cubicle, the cubicle sucks the life out of you. Surely somewhere in the working world, I hope, there's someone with some joy in their life. Surely there's someone in the corporate world that enjoys their job. But for Peter Gibbons at Inatech, he's a software programmer, and that's certainly not the case. As he was telling us, he comes in almost every day of the week. And in this movie, his boss makes him come in on Saturday and Sunday. And that scene you saw where he was sleeping in was Saturday morning, the morning his boss had told him to come in. And every day he sits there and goes through thousands and thousands of lines of computer code, trying to switch from 98 to 1998 so that the Y2K bug won't um, hurt their computer systems. And as Peter believes... That his failure to care about work is not that he's lazy, but simply that he doesn't care. It's a problem of apathy. And it's a problem of of motivation. That's what he says. But here's what I say. I say that Peter's problem is that he has failed to find joy in his life. It's fitting that... For the one of the most depressing comedies that I know of. And if you watch this movie all the way through, Peter's life is pretty depressing. But it's fitting that for the one of the most depressing comedies I know of, you'd have to look at one of the most depressing Bible passages um, in all of the Bible. And that might seem a little contradictory that I'm using the word depressing in the Bible because the Bible is filled with so many amazing and wonderful promises for each one of us. But if you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll know what I'm talking about. Here in Ecclesiastes, we have a man. His name is Kohelet, or the teacher in Hebrew. And um, other folks know him as Solomon, David's son, the king of all Jerusalem. And after years and years and years of work, he looks back on his life and realizes that all of his work, all that he's done, really amounts to nothing. He thinks that... There's really nothing in this world worth working for because someday we're all going to die. And everything that you've gained in this life, you know, that's going to be gone too. Listen to how Solomon phrases it in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 2 through 11. And this is the message, the message version. Smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's just smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work, a lifetime of working your fingers to the bone? One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, it does it again and again and again. The wind blows to the north, it blows to the south, and it repeats that every day. All the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place and then start all over again and do it again. Everything is boring, utterly boring. One can never find any meaning to it. Boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was, will be again. What happened, will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. If somebody says, hey, look at that, that's new, 
Don't get excited. It's the same old thing. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday and the things that will happen tomorrow. Nobody will remember them either. And you don't count on being remembered. This is the word of the Lord. This is depressing stuff. And if you read through Ecclesiastes, it's the same mantra all the way through. That he's looking back on his life and realizing that nothing matters. For Solomon, just like Peter, every day of his life is, in fact, the worst day of his life. He looks over all of his accomplishments, all of the things that he's gained, all of the times that he's tried to fill what seemed like a God-shaped hole in his life. And he has tried. He's tried in, in a number of things to find joy, to find happiness. In chapter 2, he tells us that he looks to money. He looks to fame. He looks to fortune. He even buys a whole chorus of the best singers in all of the land to entertain him every day. He tries sex. He tries clothing. He tries the finest foods. But ultimately, none of these things bring him any satisfaction. They could not bring him joy. And so at the end of his life, he looks back and he realizes that his entire life was meaningless. All the mounds of treasure, all the silver and gold that he has couldn't buy him an ounce of happiness. And he says in a number of ways, all was vanity, chasing after wind, wasting time, meaninglessness. And so at the end of his life, Solomon's looking back. And unlike Peter, he doesn't advise us to just step away from it all. He doesn't advise us just to to take a, a long holiday and just not to go into work. But instead, he gives us a very simple recommendation. And it's this, to strive after God's gift of joy in this life, in this world, and in the simple things of this world. He writes this, I've decided that there's nothing better to do than to go ahead and have a good time and make the most out of your life. That's it. Eat, drink, and make the most out of your job. This is God's will. What Solomon's telling us today is that although so much of the world is vapor, vanity, meaninglessness, that God has already provided us simple Sources of joy in our day-to-day life. And Solomon commands us to be happy and enjoy life. To eat and drink and take pleasure in your work. And when you do this, you accept God's will for your life. So many people think of God as being an angry God, a wrathful God, a God that's always out to judge us, and maybe even a God... That's pretty upset and sad with us. But through the the Bible and through what I've read and through what I've come to know in my own life, I think that there's reason to believe that God is, in fact, the happiest being in the entire universe. Maybe just if you think back to Genesis, if you think back to creation, think about the day that God created us. I think it might have it might have gone something like this. In the beginning, it was nine o'clock, and so God got up and He turned off His alarm clock, and He and He got moving that day, and He filled out a requisition, and He separated the light from the darkness, and you know He thought about putting some stars in the sky and maybe some planets to float around, you know, on their orbits. But He was, you know, He thought that wasn't really His job, and so He just kind of moseyed around for the rest of the day. And when when the five o'clock bell rang, He He punched His card and He said, you know, 
looked at all he had made and thought, okay, that'll have to do. And then later on in the week, he, you know, he decided to make some animals. And so he made a pigeon to fly in the air and he made some fish swim in the sea and he made a cat walk around on the ground. And, you know, he thought about making animals of all shapes and sizes, different colors, different species, but he was tired and he really couldn't get up much enthusiasm to make anything else. And he, in fact, he really didn't care too much for the cat. Besides, it was almost 5 p.m. and it was almost quitting time. So God looked at all he had done and said, it'll have to do. And then at the end of the week, God was pretty tired. He was pretty burned out from all this creating. And so he just took the week off, took some time off and sat back and thought about what he had made and said, it'll have to do. Is this the story you remember from Genesis? Is it? No, this is not the story in Genesis. And in fact, God creates on each day with such enthusiasm and with such joy that he sits back after all he's done and he looks at the birds in the air and he looks at planet earth and he looks at you and he looks at me and he thinks this, this is good. This is good. I think we'll, we will never understand God. And we'll keep misunderstanding God until we realize that God is the happiest being in the universe. Of course, God knows sorrow. Jesus himself knew pain. But the chief characteristic of God is joy. It's his basic characteristic. God is the happiest being in the universe. And I have reason to believe that God wants us to experience this joy as well. And so I have three thoughts for today. I have three thoughts about how we might go about experiencing this joy. And the first one is this. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't wait for a better day to come. Don't wait for your circumstances to be perfect. But claim joy today. The psalmist writes a very familiar phrase when he writes, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. And the psalmist could have said tomorrow or next week or next month. But he says today, this is the day the Lord has made. As Daryl said, I was just married a month ago and I'm just 23 years old. But I find myself constantly thinking about what's in store for me. What's ahead. I'm never quite satisfied with what's going on today. I can't fully experience God's joy because I'm always thinking about my future, whether I'm worrying about my future or whether I'm thinking, you know, maybe when I have a church that I, you know, I'm full-time employed, or maybe when I graduate seminary, I don't have to do all this work, or maybe when we get back to Durham and, and all these things, then I could have joy. John Ortberg, a, a Christian speaker and writer kind of broadens it out for all of us. And he says, we live with this illusion that joy will come someday when all of our conditions are perfect. We're in school and we think things will get better when we graduate. We're single and we're convinced that when we're married, we'll be happy. We're married and we think maybe when we have kids, there'll be sources of joy in our life. And then when we have kids, we think maybe it would be better just to get them out of the house. So it'll just be the two of us again. And then when that happens, we think, you know, it was better when they were still around. You know, I think that if we keep thinking that we'll be happy only sometime in our future, 
I think we might be surprised that it, it might never come. If we don't rejoice today in this day, we may never find the opportunity to rejoice. If we wait until all of our conditions are perfect, which won't happen, we might still be waiting until we die to experience God's gift of joy. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And the second thing I would say is don't be a slave to boredom. Don't be a slave to boredom and find joy in the everyday experiences of your life. If you've seen Office Space, you know that, that what he says is he just goes in there and he spaces out. He just spaces out all day. And he says later after the clip that I had to cut because there was some inappropriate language, but we move on. And he says that, he says that what he does is in a given week, he only does about 15 minutes of work, 15 minutes. And the rest of the time he's playing Tetris or solitaire or going online and looking at boredatwork.com. You know, I think that, I think that this is something that honestly is upsetting to God. God has given us so much in this life and all we can do is be bored. There's a story about Evander Holyfield, the real deal, the boxing legend, the heavyweight champion at one time of the world. He had made $204 million in his career. 92 million of that was in, um, from prize fights alone. He owns a 54,000 square foot mansion in Fayetteville, Georgia. He's a collector of cars and of horses, and he has a horse track and a car track. He even has a full-size baseball diamond in his backyard. And when he stopped, when he, when he, when he lost the, the crown, when he lost his, his heavyweight belt, his biographer, who was writing a, a book on him, asked him, why do you keep fighting? You've already lost. Why do you keep fighting? He said, I keep fighting because I'm bored. Solomon lists three things for us. He says, food, drink, and to find enjoyment in your toil. Food, drink, and work. If you think about these three things, think about how your life is spent. You eat three times a day. You're drinking water throughout the day. And you're, you're at work five days out of the week. Or you're busying yourself around the house or whatever you're doing. But these are daily things. And I think that Solomon is giving us a clue here. That God doesn't expect us to find joy in big extravagant purchases. And in big amazing trips all over the world. But rather right here. Right where you are. Right where God has placed you. In your daily lives. In your daily work. God desires that you find his joy. Paul writes. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Again, I say rejoice. And then again in Colossians, whatever you're doing, do it with all your heart, with all joy, as if you were working for the Lord. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the Christian minister in, in Germany, was about to be executed by the Nazis, um, someone wrote down a quote about his meals in prison. And this is what he said. God cannot endure that unfestive attitude of ours in which we eat our bread in sorrow with pretentious, busy haste or even with shame through our daily meals. He is calling us to rejoice, to keep holiday in the midst of our working day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this as a man in prison, a man who circumstances were by no means perfect, but yet he still found time to spend time finding joy in his daily meals. So if we're going to experience joy, we must experience it today. 
And we must experience it in those things that God has given us in our daily life. The third thing I'd say is that we cannot forget to be grateful. That we must practice gratitude to continue to experience this joy. The psalmist in Psalm 28 writes, My heart leaps for joy, and so I will give God praise and thanks. If Peter Gibbons had been thankful, if he had been grateful for what he had received, if he had been grateful for those few friends he had, for that job that he wasn't being fired from and was was working at day after day, for those meals he was able to eat, for those daily experiences that he had, I wonder, and I I would reason to believe that, that he would have much greater joy than he had. In a 2001 issue of U.S. News and World Report, they did a a series of questions with Americans about how they experience happiness and how they keep that happiness going. And what they found was that one thing that made a significant contribution to how they maintain their satisfaction in life was by how much they practiced giving thanks. The article said, People who made a daily or more frequent practice of being thankful were not only more joyful, But they were healthier, less stressed, more optimistic, and more likely to help others. I believe that gratitude is our only response to God's joy. I think gratitude is really the relational aspect. God gives us joy, and we have nothing to do but to be grateful back to Him. And I think that if we begin to show God thanks now, while we have plenty, while we have things to be thankful for, Then when hard times come, when tough times come, it will be our natural response to give thanks and be joyful even in those times. As a personal note, I I grew up in Katy, Texas, as Daryl said, and I went to St. Peter's United Methodist Church, and we had the same pastor for nine years. And she left and was appointed to another church. And we had a a new pastor come in about two summers ago, and I was pretty busy with school and and traveling, and when I finally got to go to lunch with him, it was December of last year. And I found out he was a Duke basketball fan, and so we went out to lunch for pizza. And, and Duke was doing really well. We were 13-0, and 0, and it was just December. And so we had a lot to talk about, about how far they would go in the tournament, how well they would do that year. And as the conversation started to turn to things more serious, I thought to ask him, as an experienced Methodist minister, what he thought. What he thought would be the best advice he could give me. And he looked at me and he said, you know, frankly, I would say this, don't let anyone steal your joy. Don't let anyone steal your joy. And that's my final word for today. Don't let anyone steal your joy. I think my pastor was dead on because I think when we leave this place, we won't need to be surprised That as you leave the doors to the CLC and you walk out and you go to lunch and you spend the rest of your day and the rest of your week, there will be people, there will be things, there will be circumstances that will attempt and probably and can steal your joy. Jesus said it this way in John 10.10, The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come So that you might have abundant life. If God's chief characteristic is to give us joy, to give us things in our everyday lives that we can be joyful for, then I believe that Satan is there right behind him, waiting to put things in our day 
to, to cloud up our, our beautiful days with clouds, with thoughts of how this day could be better, how our circumstances could, could be better, and to fail to experience God's joy for our life. I think that I think about my life before I knew Christ and it and it was okay. But since I but since I've come into personal relationship with Jesus, I know that that my life has been filled with such greater joy than it's than I've ever known. Greater joy in each and every day. And as I still struggle each day to remember that God has given me joy. I know that there's always there's always joy available in my days. I know that each day isn't the worst day of my life. But as we strive on together, moving towards the kingdom of God, moving towards making God's kingdom on this earth, God's desire is that we have joy and is that we ha- and is to have abundant life. Will you pray with me? Dear God, I thank you that, that you have given us joy. God, I know that there might be some of us here today that are coming with hearts that are heavy, that are sad, that are frustrated, that are angry because of circumstances. God, I pray that you would soften their hearts. God, soften my heart so that I might be able to see, so that we might be able to see your joy in our daily lives. God, help us to accept that abundant life that you've offered to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's great to be here with you today. Thanks so much. And, and come back next week. Michael will be back. And he will be preaching on the Princess Bride. So if you haven't seen this movie, go out and rent it and uh, prepare for another, another fun summer at the movies.